So we ask, Spirit, that you prepare the way and prepare our hearts for what we hear today. We pray, Father, that people would not hear a preacher or a band, but they hear from God of the universe. Amen? You can be seated. You know, today we're going to talk about some uh, important things, but before we get to it, I just want to let you know, um, as lead pastor, one thing I'm committed to is being transparent with our finances and how things are going. I think it's important for us. And I want to tell you some good news that um, based on the generosity and giving and tithes of people like you, um, just this week, we paid off one of our, our big debts. And so, yeah, we are very excited about that. We have, uh, one more to, we have one more to go, and I just want you to know that I am, I am fully committed to the orchard getting out of the debt business. Um, there is so much that God has called us to, vision-wise, what it means to love people in our community, that that just gets freed up when we get this last debt paid off. And so thank you so much. I just want to say thank you uh, for your generous tithes and offerings, and thank you, God, for what he's doing here. Amen? Well, today we're talking about some deep truths, um, but what happens oftentimes when it comes to truth is we forget we just forget, don't we? Amy and I dealt with this this week. Um, it, was, it was just our ninth uh, wedding anniversary, and we forgot. <laughs> and um, in fact, we scheduled a dinner with some of our friends, and then we all found out it was our anniversary. In fact, I said, why does it say anniversary on Wednesday? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> so um, what I did learn is that if you um, spend your anniversary with somebody else, they'll pay. So... <laughs> We're going to talk about some things that we know is truth, but you forget. So I'm going to start off with a, a groundbreaking statement. It's going to blow you away. Life is hard. Life is hard. Jesus himself says in uh, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Now this is a great sermon. I mean, if you're a guest of ours, welcome to the orchard. You got here on the in this life you'll have trouble week. It's much easier to preach that, hey, if you come to Jesus, all your wildest dreams will come true. You'll be rich. You'll get all the houses, all the cars, even a, anything, anything you want. I would love to preach that sermon. But the sermon Jesus preached was much more like this. In this, wor- in this world, you'll have trouble. Now, he promised us that we'll face hard times, dark valleys, that we're going to face pain, tragedy, and loss. But see, we don't like it, do we? we? We get it, but we don't like it. You see, we, we desire perfection. We, we want that perfect spouse. We want that perfect job with the perfect pay and the perfect hours with that perfect boss. We want the perfect obedient kids. We want that purpose in life. We, want, we, want, we desire perfection. And the reason is because is we, were, we were made for perfection. We were created for perfection. You know, we were made in God's image in paradise, but something bad happened, and we live in a fallen world now where bad things continue to happen. And so we get it when it says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Like, I don't need to convince you that this is true. We get that. We've had trouble. We've had tragedy, haven't we? Some of you are in the midst of trials and troubles or in the wake of a tragedy. We get this. We don't need any other evidence because in this room alone, there's some, there's some realities in this room that are just soul-crushing. You see, some of us in this room have a diagnosis over our heads that is just completely distracting from the present moment. Some of us, were parents, we're, and we're missing our children who have wandered off in life, far from God and far from us. We have parents in this room who are mourning children who have passed away. We have adults in this room who are 
mourning the loss of a parent or the decline of a parent. So we have people in this room who've stood in front of friends and family and promised forever to their mate, only to find out that they had different definitions of till death do us part. We get broken hearts, broken homes, broken dreams. And then you add in the things that we collect through our past. Any abuse or, or, or neglect from your parents or absent or wounds. And then life has a way of just adding more onto it. Anxieties, depression, addictions, temptations, rage, and insecurity. I mean, for a people who long for perfection, we really don't get much of it in this life, do we? Not as much as we want. When Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, you're a believer because you know it's true. You have faced it and you are facing it. And today's message is going to be pretty simple. I want you to be reminded of a simple yet transformative truth that no matter what life gives you, that because of the cross, we have hope. That no matter what you go through in life, because of the cross, we always have a hope. Because Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. He defeated death and sin. We can have hope in any situation, in any circumstance. And my prayer for you before you leave here today is that you are reminded that there is always hope. Because let's just be honest for one minute and drop the religious facade. We need hope, don't we? And some of us in this room desperately need new hope. There are those of us in this room who, who are afraid to hope because it's a dangerous thing. We've been crushed so many times. We're scared to even hope again. And my prayer for us today is that we see because of the cross, there's always hope. Many Thanksgivings ago, right over at the Roaring Fork High School football field, something interesting happened. You see, every Thanksgiving, a group of guys get together and play the turkey bowl. It's um, quote-unquote athletes who are way past their prime. Um, they invite me, but, you know, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> Go out there and we play football in the mud and um, relive some glory days. Well, something happened a few years ago that was different. You see, they were out there getting ready to play the turkey bowl, and someone showed up who's not, really a, not a local at all. In fact, no one recognized him. And he's, he's easy to recognize. He's 6'5", uh, 260 pounds, 2% body fat, um, just muscles, huge. And they began to play, and it became very obvious, as my friend told me, that this was no mere mortal. And he said, I would, I would be quarterbacking, and he would, this guy would be over on this side, and I would throw it across the field, and, and he would get over there and pick off everything. No one touched him. It came out that this guy was an NFL all-pro in his prime. Like in the prime of his playing career. He happened to be in town for some other things. And he said, yeah, I'll go play turkey bowl with you guys. And it's, it's hilarious to hear the stories. It's, it's, like, it's like one of us going and playing middle school, some, anything. <laughs> he was, the game was easy for this gentleman. He was, in, he was never in trouble at any point in time. Never once was he in danger of one of the local guys really sticking it to him, let alone touching him. Anything. And it's funny, but oftentimes we start to believe that this is what it was like when Jesus came to earth. 
that some, somebody who's, who's the top, top, top comes down to us. And what affects us doesn't affect him. That, that Jesus won the spiritual and genetic lottery. And like Superman, who's an infant, right? And Superman, this, this, this total otherworldly being who's not scathed and not phased by anything that phases us mere mortals. We begin to think that Jesus was something like that. That it's easy for him. But this is far from the reality we find in his life. In fact, when he says, in this world you'll have trouble, he says it from personal experience. He is a man who has faced his share of temptation and trouble. He didn't skate through life like an all-pro NFLer on a turkey bowl day. Jesus came from heaven, and here's the miracle. He was fully God. A hundred percent God. And he was fully human. 100% human. And the miracle of Jesus is that he was 100% God, 100% human. Philippians 2 said that he had the very nature of God, but took on the nature of a servant to be made in human likeness, fully God by nature, and at the same time, fully human by choice. You see, if Jesus came to the earth as fully God, but just kind of a person, then he wouldn't be the sacrifice we needed on the cross for the sins to be forgiven and for redemption to be open. He was fully human, which meant when Jesus was born as a baby, he cried. Despite what the uh, Christmas carols will tell you, he cried. He was dependent on his mommy to feed him, to change him, to comfort him. He had to learn how to walk. He felt, Jesus fell over. As a toddler, he bonked his head. That's right. The divine head of God was getting a welt from a wooden end table. It happened. You know it had to have happened. And then Jesus was a middle schooler, and he probably smelled. How does God smell? We're talking about nature here. Middle schoolers, by nature, smell like body odor or Axe body spray. That's the only two options. Jesus was fully middle schooler at one point. Sometime in his childhood, it appears that his stepfather Joseph passed away. He exits the story, and he, Jesus probably went to Joseph's funeral, the father who raised him, and he watched as he saw his mom's broken heart, his sibling's broken heart, his broken heart. These things impacted him deeply. He was fully human. He faced the strangeness of puberty and adolescence as he got into those teen years. And maybe he was popular. Maybe he was marginalized. Maybe he was bullied. We don't know. We see movies of Jesus, and he's always this super handsome fella, isn't he? I mean, he has these flowing locks and like a, um, some like sash from a pageant. And he's Swedish. And, and he, he just has striking blue eyes. And he's tall and handsome. That Jesus would be popular in school. That looks like somebody that would come from heaven. But listen to what it says about Jesus in reality in Isaiah 53. It says, The servant of God, the servant grew up before God as a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field, and there was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to draw us to him. Nothing to cause us to even take a second look. In fact, he was looked down and he was passed over. This was a man who suffered. This was a person who knew pain firsthand. And people would look at him and they would look away. That sounds more like somebody who could say with conviction, in this world you will have trouble, than the person you go, oh yeah, that is definitely from heaven. It says we would look right past him. 
You see, it sounds as though the Jesus in the Bible wasn't this distinctively handsome and even charismatic person. There was nothing about his humanity to attract us to him. If Jesus had gone to the turkey bowl, it wouldn't have gone well. He grew up like, like us, and he faced the temptations like we would face. In childhood, he would have faced temptations like the temptation to lie or cut corners or to speak bad about somebody to, to get ahead, temptations of lust and anger. And finally, he was tempted by God's enemy, the tempter, in the most profound way imaginable. He was tempted with success and significance and power in a way that would have been hard for us to face. But in God's eyes, this was necessary. You see, do you want a Savior who's superhuman, who has no idea what it's like to be tempted, who has no idea what it's like to feel any pain at all, who can't have any empathy with you as you walk through your valleys? Or do you want to know you have a Savior who faced the temptation that you faced, who's, who's been through the losses and the tragedies that you walk through? In fact, it says in Hebrews 4, verse 14, we have a high priest who has gone up to heaven, and that's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, profess that he is our Savior. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our, with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus, fully God, fully human, tempted in every way. And the verse ends, it adds this at the end. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. By the way, just as an aside, something to, t- to clarify. This tells us that temptation is not a sin. You see, a lot of times, we will feel, we will feel condemned even for being tempted. But it says that Jesus was tempted in every way yet he was without sin. Don't let the enemy condemn you just for the temptation. It's when you take the bait on temptation and step into sin, that's when we get in trouble. But temptation is not a sin. Now Jesus knew that in life he would have these temptations and troubles. And the tragedies that he faced affected him deeply. The Bible talks about Jesus crying with those who are mourning. The Bible talks about Jesus weeping with his friends who were heartbroken and him being heartbroken. And what, what about the final night before he was arrested? The night before his death, he prayed to God so intensely that the capillaries burst and he sweat blood. This doesn't sound like someone who's unaffected by tragedy. It doesn't sound like someone unaffected by trouble. Jesus, the Son of God, the very nature of God, came in the nature of a human. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to face everything that we face, to go through the life that we go through. He humbled himself even to death, even on a cross. And in that one act, there on the cross, it tells us a lot about our Savior. You see, the cross reveals that Jesus can identify with our pain. He went through hardship and he experienced these losses firsthand. I mean, he was betrayed by somebody close to him. Somebody who promised to be there to the very end broke their promise. He was accused of something he didn't do. He was abandoned by his closest group of friends and left alone. He was unjustly punished for something he didn't commit. He was publicly shamed and humiliated by multitudes, and they didn't want him in prison. They wanted him dead, which meant that he would go through hours and hours of excruciating torture. 
The Bible says he was tortured so much he was unrecognizable. You see, we have a Savior who knows trouble. We have a Savior who's faced tragedy. We have a Savior who's faced temptation. We have a a Savior who's faced all that life could throw at him and all the evil could throw at him. To the point of torture and death. And on the cross, he died. And on the cross, he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus did all those things so that we could have hope. If you're here today, hope it might be the very thing you need more than anything in the whole world. And I want you to admit it to yourself just for a second, quietly. Where is it you need hope? Where is it you're afraid to even open up to hope again? The reality is we all need hope. I need hope. We need hope. We need hope to know that our sin doesn't define us. We need hope to know that our past doesn't dictate our future. We need hope to know that our broken heart can find some wholeness and health. We need hope to to know that our broken road is leading us somewhere. We, We need hope that our broken relationships don't leave us too broken for something in the future. We need hope that our children could be safe. Hope that we could have children. Hope that our parents will be okay. Hope that our health could get better. Hope that our finances don't destroy us. Hope that our depression doesn't kill us. Hope that there's some resolution to the anxieties that constantly pursue us. Hope with the anger that is constantly hurting our loved ones. Hope with the addiction that is constantly hurting ourselves. Hope with the insecurities that diminish our life. We need hope that our loved one's diagnosis isn't the last word. We need hope that our lives have a greater purpose. We need hope that we can make it another year, that we can make it through another season. We need hope that tomorrow will be better than today. We as a people, we need hope. Hope is one of the most powerful elements in the entire universe. Hope changes everything. You can be in the worst dark valley, yet if you have hope, it changes your perspective on everything. And you can be in a valley that's not near as dark, but if you are hopeless, it's hard to see the light at all. Hope changes your perspective. Hope fuels you. Hope changes everything. And the cross of Christ stands throughout history as a beacon of hope for all people. Because we have a Savior who went there and he died willingly. Listen, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels to come rescue him. But he embraced the cross. I just want to tell you something. The the nails didn't hold Jesus to the cross. His love held him there for you. He went to the cross to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He went to the cross for you to tell sin. You no longer define my child. He went to the cross for you to tell your shame. You no longer get to harass my son or my daughter. He went to the cross for you to tell death. You no longer get the last word. I do. I get the last word. Jesus went to the cross so you can find hope no matter how big the loss, no matter how dark the valley, no matter how tragic the circumstance. The cross stands today and calls you to fresh and new hope. Some of us already have our argument. My sins are too big. Your sins will never be bigger than God's love. 
My sins are too great. Well, you have a Savior who disagrees with you on that. You can't outsin His grace, and you can't wander so far that He doesn't welcome you home and call you home. And you may try to define yourself based on the, your behavior, but God sees you based on His Son's sacrifice. The cross stands, and it declares that you are not defined by your sin. The cross declares that death has been defeated and that you will not be left alone in your suffering, that you have a God who goes with you. Jesus himself proclaims from the cross, you were worth my life. Jesus says from the cross, you're worth my time and my love. And he says, you are mine. The enemy will not have you and death will not hold you because I paid a price for you. You are mine. The cross stands and calls each of us to come and surrender. Are you weary? Are you tired? Come to the cross. There's hope. Are you ashamed and guilty or insecure and needy? Come to the cross where there is hope. Are you chained and shackled by your addiction and vices? Come to the cross where there is hope. The cross is where we find hope no matter the circumstance. Jesus declared, in this world you will have trouble. We get it. We get that. But what I love about Jesus is he did not stop there. That wasn't the end of the verse. It wasn't the end of the sermon. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart means to take courage. Take hope. Take hope. You're going to have trouble, but take hope. What he's saying here is no matter what you're going through today, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, take hope. No matter what dark valley, no matter what fear of the unknown in the future, no matter what past has happened, take hope. And the end of the verse says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The very world that's giving you the trouble, I overcome. I've overcome it. I am victorious is what he is saying. Are you in trouble? Are you going through tragedy? Trials? Take hope because we have a Savior who's overcome it. Now, just, to, just, just one thing. Does this mean because of the cross we will not face trouble or tragedy? I, I, I hesitate even putting this in here, but I want, it's important for us to hear this because there's a lot of teaching out there that says if you follow Jesus, your life will be a breeze. And I just want to say, I'd be a terrible pastor if I, if I let you get away with that. Jesus never promises you won't face tragedy, but he promises to be with you in it. And he never promised to keep you from trouble and trial, but he does promise to keep by your side through every step. You see, the cross tells us that our pain and our suffering never gets the last word. The cross tells us that every dark valley can open up into a summit. The cross tells us that all in our past that has been breaking us can actually build us for the future. The cross tells us that even if the worst case scenario happens and death takes us or a loved one, that death is not the final reality. The death does not get the final say. 
The cross tells us that there is hope in every valley, every hospital, every hospice care, every courtroom, every bedroom, every moving truck, every lost job, every lost child, every lost spouse. The cross tells us there is hope in every temptation, every vice, every anxiety, every depression, every circumstance. The cross tells us there's hope. Because of our sin, though, we wonder if God loves us. Don't we? I'll admit it. Because of my sin, I I question whether God can even love me sometimes. I don't feel very lovable. Because of our shame, we, we avoid him. And because of our tragedies and troubles, we question if he even loves us or if he's with us. You've been there? I've been there. God, how could you let this happen? Something happened to me one time and I said, God, I have done it all right. I have been following you. I'm in the ministry. I've given my life to you. How could you let this happen? Because of our sin and our shame and our tragedies, we wonder if he's with us, if he loves us. And so today, I just want to give you some fresh hope. Not from me, but from God's word, from God's heart. And so what I want you to do is just put your hands out as if you're receiving something and close your eyes. And I want you to receive some hope today. Because for some of you, this is exactly what you needed. And this is why you are here for this. Romans 8, 33 and through 39. Who dares accuse us? For God has chosen us as his own. No one accuses us. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. So who then will condemn you? Who will condemn you? No one. For Christ Jesus died for you and was raised to life for you. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for you. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or tragedy? Or if we go hungry or destitute or in danger? Or if our lives are threatened? Does it mean he doesn't love us? No, despite all these things and all these troubles, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. But what about our sin? What about our shame? And I am convinced that nothing can separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life. No angels, no demons. Not your fears for today or your worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate you from God's love. No power in the sky above and no power in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. There's nothing that separates you from his love. And if you're going through circumstances wondering where he is, he's with you. The cross gives you hope in the midst of it. Sin is defeated on the cross. Sin no longer defines you. What about shame? I just want to tell you guys something. Shame is an imposter. Rebuke it. It is not from the Father. It's not from God's heart. And even if the worst thing happens to you and you die, or a loved one dies, you need to know that because of the cross, that's not the end of the story. 
the chapter turns, but there is life on the other side of that, and you will be reunited in joy and love and in grace, and, and God will have the final say, not death. The cross stands forever as a symbol that on your darkest day, God's with you. Because on, on Jesus' darkest day, he gave his life. So today, as we close, I, I, I hope, I hope that you have fresh hope. And as we come up and we get the elements of God's sacrifice, his, his symbols of his body and blood, this is an open table anybody can take in remembrance of him. And as you, you would get and you would go sit down in your chair, you hold in your hands the price of this hope. And what this says is, catch this, you don't have to pay the price for hope. It was paid for you. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body, God invites you into a hope eternal. Hope for today, hope for eternity. If you need prayer today for anything small, big, doesn't matter, we have a prayer corner back there. We would love to pray for you. But Orchard, let's respond today. And for some of you, I want you to sit there and ask Jesus. I want you to go to that place where you've given up hope and very tenderly ask him if he would give you new hope, fresh hope in your heart. Amen? Let's respond, Orchard.